Welcome back. I want to remind everyone, if you have not already locked in your tickets to Bitcoin Amsterdam to do so now, ticket prices will be going up next Friday. I'm excited to introduce our guest for today, JP Barrick. P, can you give him a proper introduction? Absolutely. JP Barrick is the founder and chief executive officer of Mining Store and Aram Capital Ventures. You guys are leaders in the space. You've overseen six different mining deployments, introduced hundreds of people into the mining space. You're super passionate about mining. Mining, that is, you also have a super active and successful TikTok, multiple TikTok channels where you've really effectively figured out how to communicate some of these really important topics around mining and Bitcoin to people in a medium and a way that they understand. That's how you got on my radar. I'm super excited to have you in this conversation today and to dig into the mining space and how you think about communicating about Bitcoin to the masses. Welcome. So I'm going to just come out and ask a very hot question, but you know, I watched a lot of Bitcoin miners and made a lot of money on the publicly traded miners who were just ripping from 2020 up until a better part of last year. Money was cheap. It was really easy to take on a lot of debt. A lot of these miners were very aggressively leveraged. And I want to just get your initial thoughts on what you're starting to see out of the mining space with some miners who've had this hodl mentality, have now started to have to capitulate slowly on just the Bitcoin they're holding first, not even going down the rabbit hole of having to unplug miners yet. JP, your, your mic is it's hard to understand. Is there any way you can increase the quality? While we're waiting, I'll just do a rehash of Yep, check. Much better. Okay, perfect. Awesome. It was in my AirPods before. So I was going to go with that question is, you know, Bitcoin miners were all hoping for 100K. I think the whole community was. And so no one was selling coins. No one was like thinking about treasury management. But the reality is there should have been people, we should have been putting cash in the books and saying, I'm no longer going to just commit to 40 cents of terash. I'm making a ton of money. Now we're at 7 cents, 6 cents of terash. Why, why did you not sell before? I think that's the first thing is that capital management was just horrible for miners across the globe, especially the public guys. Second thing that happened was these public mining companies, they're run by a suite of management. They're not run by necessarily operators for most of them or people who have done this before. And so some of these guys, they're experienced, but others, they're just, Hey, I'm a manager. I'm going to raise the capital, have access to the capital markets, really deploy the capital with a hosting provider. So I have a higher electricity rates. I'm not fully integrated. And you're, you're just, you're taking, like you said, advantage of the wave. So I think that the, the mining companies that are public are really feeling pressure. And you can see that by the compression in their stock because of all the shorts and different types of capital borrowers that are placing against them, placing bets that saying they're not going to survive. So for, at the end of the day, these, these public miners really are in a tough situation. I hope that if they have a big enough balance sheet, they'll be able to get through it and weather the storm. The reality is most of them lock themselves into these long hosting contracts. So you just can't turn off your machines. So we've seen machine prices crash and we expect them to go lower. And how, so there was also a very aggressive, I think, forecast and expectation for what hash rate would look like by the end of this year. I mean, we're now in the, uh, in the second half of 2022. By my understanding, based on what the expectations were at the new year, where we're at right now, I believe hash rate is at just under 206 terahash. Doesn't seem like we're going to be getting to that 300 terahash marker that we were looking at. What are you attributing 
some downwind pressure? Yeah, I can say for that pressure and the reason why we're not growing as fast as we expected was one is you have maybe 30% of the network is still older equipment, S9's equipment running at 100 watts, 80 watts of terahash. That equipment is going to be shut off or is no longer available to operate or is not running. And so when that equipment's turned off, the hash rate's dropping, which is what we're seeing because of the profitability drop. Second, the energy situation across the globe is challenging miners' ability to deploy new facilities. Deploying in Texas with the with ERCOT setting rules saying if you have a site bigger than 20 megawatts, you need to go through about a, a year to two year long process. These sites, you know, we're deploying hundreds and hundreds of megawatts, especially in the US. It's not as simple as, okay, let's let's start today. You have to put in a load study for electrical load to understand the grid impact. You have to get permits and the correct zoning to run these facilities. And those challenges are things where people can put a roadmap together and say, I'm going to build, you know, 500 megawatts, but there's a big difference between building 500 and just even building a hundred because of all these different complexities. And so that's what I'm seeing across the market is that these companies, you know, projected that they're going to have all this hash rate. And then when it came to it, you know, they realized that there's a lot of logistical issues to deploy. And in addition, energy costs going up have made some of those sites that might've been attractive with the Bitcoin price going down, not as attractive. And so those projects were put on hold. I know there's companies, public companies that have tens of thousands of machines that are just sitting in boxes because they don't have places for them to run. I, I want to take that. There are like a hundred different ways we can go. I'm just letting you know at a certain point, I do want you to maybe walk our audience through the historical precedent of miners shutting down their rigs and what that actually has. Like that is a very common practice during bear markets. And I don't want to dive down that rabbit hole yet, but I'm just saying it so that you know, if in case I forget to just mentioned that story, but I want to talk about just the energy grids right now. We're seeing a lot of stuff coming out of Texas. You're bringing up the fact that, you know, some of these miners, mining companies are sitting on miners and have nowhere to plug them in. I mean, gas prices seem to be still hovering at all time highs. The cost of energy is still slowly, surely creeping up. What, if anything, could possibly have to, or let me rephrase, what are is there a certain threshold on the upside for cost where, hey, this just is no longer sustainable? Like this is something that we have to really reevaluate where we're getting our energy from to mine this, to mine Bitcoin. Is there a certain cost per terahash that you're looking at and saying like, hey, this is, at this point, this jurisdiction is out and we need to go relocate? Yeah, it's a great question. So energy is a local marketplace and Bitcoin created it into this global marketplace. And so the arbitrage that Bitcoin miners are create or have is between that local marketplace. So for example, here I am today at one of our new facilities in Iowa, a five megawatt facility we're currently deploying. That energy price is between, let's say it's $54 a megawatt hour. Now, if you plug a new machine in, that machine has an efficiency rating of how efficient it takes that energy and turns it into a terahash, which is the measure, the output that each miner creates. And so that efficiency mechanism determines how efficient you are with that electricity. So you can have a higher electricity cost, let's say at a hundred dollars a megawatt hour and have a very efficient machine, one of the newest machines and still be profitable. If you have an older generation machine, you will no longer be profitable because the, how efficient you turn energy, the watts of energy into the terahashes. It, it determines on the model of balance sheet. And so right now we're seeing that these local marketplaces of energy are getting, are having increases across the board, anywhere between 13 to 20% increases. Now this is coming from 
the local utilities in outside of Texas and then in Texas, even the markets there because of just because of natural gas prices, as you mentioned. So the local utilities provide energy to their customers with natural gas, gensets, and wind, solar, and coal. And so as those, as natural gas increases and even the components used to create wind and solar increase, the cost, the levelized cost of energy, which is the amount of dollars, the cost of energy creation, including the cost of the asset rises over time. And so we're seeing that across the board here in the U.S. and then even in the world outside the U.S. and in other countries, it's, it's, it's much worse. Um, when it comes to the, what, what's going to keep a miner running versus what's going to turn off and when it's become unprofitable. That's the nice thing about mining is where it's this game of how efficient are your mining operations? Are you able to run through the summer without any heating issues? Are you able to have a low energy contract or an energy contract, which allows you to shut off? Or are you forced to continue to run because you've committed to that energy usage in something called a PPA, a power purchase agreement, we're going to buy so much power every single day from the grid or from the provider. And so each miner has their own different flexibility and different optionality when it comes to running their facilities. When it comes to the terahash value, seven cents, six cents, I mean, there's not much margin to be made when that terahash is that low, especially with the halving event being two years from today. I think that's one problem. One of the things that people don't realize, like with Bitcoin, you can't just print money as we know, but to create these new Bitcoins, you have to do all of this work. You have to deploy these facilities, staff them, keep these machines operational. That's day in and day out. Thousands of people around the world maintaining the network and each new coin is extremely hard to get. And so when the difficulty bump does happen or when the halving does happen, it becomes twice as hard to mine Bitcoin. It requires twice the amount of energy. That's a massive input cost for miners across the globe. And we will see capitulation. So I would say Bitcoin would have to drop farther, maybe $15,000 and sit there before we see real capitulation. We already have gone from 220 exahashes down to 206 exahashes, as I mentioned. So we already are starting to see capitulation from older machines, but newer machines are still profitable, still making money. If they're covering their debt service and other fees were associated with running the operations, such as their overhead, that's a different question. I love that, you know, the happening is something that you guys are paying attention to and considering. I want to get a sense from you, like how does, how are you guys planning for and how do you map out sort of, a, I'm assuming there's a range of what you think Bitcoin's price will be to help you guys better gauge what your necessary hash rate output should be on the other side of the halving. Do you mind walking us through some of those just conversations you guys have internally? Yeah. So internally we're, you, you have your expenses at your facility and those expenses will, you know, when it comes to mining facility, we just run through them. You have your lease, you have your internet, you have your trash removal services here, then you have your staff and that staff is the biggest cost for on-site team. That, that staff, those staff members, you know, during a bull market, every terrace is worth more. So you might extend and have more, more technicians on a facility running and working, and then you'll bring technicians down. So even for us in Iowa, when we, with the recent drop from 40 to $20,000, sadly, we had to let some people go because of the reduce in hash rate. Now, every terrace we have running, you know, isn't as valuable. And so you want to make sure that you have this much daily profit from your mining facility covers your, your, your OPEX at the site. And then once you zoom out from your individual site level, you have your debt obligations, your insurance obligations, your management team, your accounting, your back office, your sales, all of those costs are also then piled onto the operation itself. And so in a having event, 
we see you know, as we prepare for the having, you know, you want to keep as many staff as you can to move forward. But there are times when you hire staff and it's like, hey, we're getting, we're going to hire you. We're going to commit to six months because that's where we need your work right now as we move into this bull market or as we move in closer to the having. And we know that our hash rate is going to be significantly worth less after that event. When it comes to capital management and that strategy, it's really understanding of when is it, when do you want to be putting cash in the bank, which is when times when Bitcoin terahashes are 40 cents a terahash or Bitcoin $60,000. And most miners, including ourselves, didn't prepare well enough so that now when it comes close to the having the ones who did prepare themselves, who have cash on their balance sheet and who are ready to deploy that capital into the mining space, when the price of these machines drop significantly lower, now is a, it's a great time to put the capital in and to buy machines that are, you know, that are, were overvalued previously because the machine's cost is effectively what it can make in about a year and a half of, of production. And so machines prices, we've seen them capitulate. We expect them to kind of flatten out, maybe go a little bit lower here. But when it comes to the capital management and treasury management strategy, we are estimating, okay, if terahashes stay at seven cents. What does that look like on our balance sheet? What does it look like on our cash flow more importantly? And then if a terahash goes to four cents, what does that look like on our cash flow? And it, it, it's a huge difference from 10 cents to five cents. I mean, when it comes to your energy costs, most miners, I would say are profitable at five cents a terahash on energy. But then after that, we're going to start shutting off and that's with new S19s. And so we are all as a mining community right now, I would say feeling the pain of the price of Bitcoin being lower and not having these new coins that we're generating be worth as much, but that's part of the game. And that's part of stacking stats in the long term. For me, this is my third cycle going through this. So I was able to prepare a little bit better than others and to be able to allocate capital that we can grow. Right. So what are some lessons from the past cycle that you've learned that you brought over? into this cycle that helped you and your team be better prepared? So I would say they come down to most of the, most of the lessons we've learned come down to the management of the facility. So when you're running a facility, having your asset management database, when you are operating a facility, making sure you're running your technician schedules properly, having the SOPs and procedures to keep machines up, replacing mm -hmm your power supplies, your fans, your control cords, making sure that those technicians go through an onboarding and training process, ensuring that your facilities can remove heat properly and you have proper infrastructure where you're not fighting against the summer heat and that you, you, you know, you've designed it properly. So we've had multiple summers to work through that on some of our sites. And then when it comes to capital management strategy, it's knowing when to exit machines or when it's good. And when you're selling machines to so put some cash away. So that you can deploy it into new crypto or you can deploy it into new facilities. So for us, we're constantly deploying. We have another 10 megawatts here in the pipeline in Iowa, and then an 80 megawatt site we're working on that'll be up at the end of the year. And that's, those projects are still going on, even if the Bitcoin price drops, because from our perspective and from a longer term investor's perspective, we're still mining Bitcoin at discount. And we believe that even though it might be a small discount today, that in the future, there will still be that arbitrage which we see in commodities, which is the commodity price will have a flat, there'll be a flat pricing commodities and a flat kind of cost to produce the commodity will about, be about the same price as the cost to what the cost of the commodity is, what the commodity is trading at. But what happens is when that commodity does run, and we saw this over the past couple of years with steel, copper, and other commodities and rare earth metals, is that when that commodity does run, it runs much faster than you can actually deploy new exporting hardware. So in this example, new Bitcoin miners, to export that commodity and that price differential is where 
Bitcoin miners make the most money is when the commodity rushes up. So when Bitcoin prices increase rapidly and when new production takes a while to get online. And then when everyone wants to join the space, you definitely have this hot and cold mentality in the mining space where super hot, everyone wants to get in and everyone's talking about it. So we saw it public guys, and then it's really cold and there's people are scared. People that work, don't want to make large capital investments that are capital intensive. They can take six months. And so for us, our team, we're continuing to push forward, continue to make those capital investments because we do believe that spread will exist there in the future. Would it, would this be a fair way of sort of rephrasing what you've just said in that it's almost like you guys are trying to build out the infrastructure and the entire supply chain now during the bear market so that by the time the bull market comes, you may not necessarily use the whole network today, but you will use the whole network and then need more anyways come the next bull market. Exactly. So even if we're not buying machines today, we're still allocating capital to that bottom 20% of the stack, which is the infrastructure and getting that infrastructure purchased, getting those transformers ordered, you know, doing our groundwork, ensuring that we can have capacity for when the bull market does run and clients or ourselves, we need to deploy more capital into the mining, mining units themselves. How, so let's talk a little bit about individual miners, cause I'm a selfish piece of shit. And to be honest, have you the big miners is potentially the bad guys, but I don't know, maybe I'm just trying to say some things to boost our ratings for someone like me, an investor type who, you know, I pour over term sheets and I pour over earnings reports. What are things to pay attention for to that will signal weakness in a, a mining company versus some things that will signal strength in a mining company? I know you mentioned something like having cash on reserve is one of those things. Are there other things or clues? Yeah, I would say there are petahashes under management that are actively running or there are Bitcoins mined per month. If you're seeing a significant drop in Bitcoins mined from public companies between, you know, June and August or June and September or May and August, that's because their facilities aren't, aren't able to handle the heat. So that would be, you know, th that means they're going to have to invest more capital in order to get those facilities to keep that hash rate up and that their hash rate is dropping. That's, that's one of the, the things you can look at is their net Bitcoins mine. I would definitely understand their full cost of production of a Bitcoin. So not only their energy costs, which is important, but their management salary their you know, what is the board getting paid? What is their middle management look like or their office? How, how efficient can they run their operations? So that's all super important. And then understanding for the public companies, how much they spend to build these facilities. Some of the public companies are spending you know, millions of dollars on immersion per megawatt hour or per megawatt to build it out. And that's, that's pretty substantial for, you know, for a machine right now that if you're spending $3,000 to build out the spot space for it, for an immersion setup, but you can buy the same machine for $3,000. Now it's like, maybe this immersion plan wasn't the best route because these machines, you know, I'm spending double the money to get maybe 30%, but I could actually run two servers and get 200% increase for the same cost. And so looking at the cost, it takes the amount of capital it takes that on the racket, what their ancillary expenses are outside of their energy usage and energy costs. And then also how secure their energy contract is. Are they running their own facilities? Are they vertically integrated? Do they have their own energy source? Or are they just buying from the grid? Or are they just buying from not even the grid, but buying from a provider such as Compute North or Core Scientific that's actually providing the services? Now, what is their edge? You know, when Bitcoin mining, when there is blood on the table and the price crashes, it's the first people to shut off the ones, the first people to shut off are the ones that have to turn off their operation and sometimes even default 
on their power bill if they're unable to pay for it, pay for it, which would then result in them losing their machines. So hopefully that doesn't happen to any of the public companies, but if it does, we will definitely hear about it and we'll end up in a, a large lawsuit because in these hosting co contracts, you're committing to power usage for a year, two years, three years. And some means you cannot turn off your machines, even if they're unprofitable, which we are, haven't seen yet, but we're getting pretty close, especially for newer machines. So let's go down that rabbit hole because that's a, a statement you hear a lot. I was in a, a spaces last night from the blockware solutions team. And I heard them like, this is a phrase and a statement you hear a lot that the final sort of marker of a market bottom in past cycles has been miners having to shut off old machines. Can you walk us through for, you know, the newer people I'm class of 2019, what, what has that looked like in previous cycles and what are your expectations for what that is going to look like in this cycle? So in previous cycles, what that has looked like is machines that were have that wattage to terahash efficiency that is based on the machine age and manufacturer when it came out so for example an antminer s9 came out in 2016 and those machines were are 100 watts a terahash now those machines turned off when covid hit the markets in 2019 and bitcoin price hit three thousand dollars even ourselves here running at four, you know, four cents, $40 a megawatt hour at that site in 2019, before energy prices started increasing, we had to turn off because you run the numbers. You're like, I could either spend the $5,000 to buy Bitcoin today on the market, or I could spend $6,000 to buy, you know, to buy energy to generate $5,000 of Bitcoin. Now, the thing that home miners, I would say is different than institutional miners is my home miner. Yeah, it's okay. You know, it's one machine I can keep running, but when you have thousands or tens of thousands of servers, that percentage difference of loss of profitability, you cannot keep running. You just will be burning cash. And so effectively in a hosting contract is where you're committing to the client, the hosting provider that you are going to use this energy. So that means no matter what happens to the value of a terash or the price of Bitcoin, you're going to consume energy. And so you're going to be paying $6,000 to make $5,000 of Bitcoin. Now, if you're a well-established well company and you have cash on the balance sheet and you can weather the storm, then yes, we'll be able to continue to run and pay those bills and just suck, you know, suck up those costs and run those machines and make your contractual commitments. But if you weren't planning and you're, let's say, a medium-sized miner where you might have 100 or 500 machines, and you don't have the cash balance sheet to come in and make those payments every month. And then in addition to covering your debt payments, your machines will, you know, have, will be seized by either your debt perps, whoever, whoever gave you the debt or the hosting provider. And that hosting provider has every right to take those machines in most contracts if you do not pay your bill. And so that's what the scenario, how that occurs. And so in 2019, when the price dropped to $3,000, it might've only been a week, two weeks when you were really unprofitable. But other people could have been unprofitable for months because the price didn't rebound immediately. It went up a little bit, but it still sat, you know, at six thousand dollars for a while. And we saw a capitulation across the market. We saw hash rate dipping, and that's one of the things I would suggest people go look at it, especially if you're new to Bitcoin before 2019. Is look at the Bitcoin difficulty chart or the Bitcoin hash rate chart back when the price of crashed during COVID, and then back after the 2017 crashes. Even after the price crashes, 
Bitcoin miners are still building. Difficulty is still going up because of the longer capital spend process and the capital allocation process that we have to make is we're not able just to stop projects instantly. And so miners are continuing to build even when the price is dropping. And at some point the market capitulates and you'll see that on chain and you'll know starting miners now that are continuing to run are going to start stacking more and more Bitcoins. Even though they're going to be worth less dollars, they're still going to be more Bitcoins. And the belief as a miner is that those Bitcoins are going to be worth more in the future than they are today. All right. I lost my tab for a second. Why? Like, I have a problem with something that you said, and, and it just might be because I don't know this stuff well enough. So forgive me if I'm, I'm misinterpreting this. At the time the Bitcoin went down to 3K in March of 2020, I believe if I'm not mistaken, the block, the block reward was still 12 and a half Bitcoin. So if you're spending $6,000 for potentially one block over the course of the next year, that seems like a far more lucrative payout still. Obviously, there's no guarantee that you get that block. So is that part of that calculation then, that there is like this level of risk that you could spend the 6000 on the cost of energy to eventually get nothing? Not even saying you're mining the block solo mining, simply saying you're pool mining. And so what happens is, is the, the value of that terahash and how efficient your machines are result in it not making sense to mine Bitcoin because you're going to spend more dollars on a day-to-day -day basis. Let's say every day you're paying your electric bill, then the Bitcoin is worth that day. And so for miners to run their own facility, it makes more sense to turn off their machines, take the cash that we're going to send to the electric company and simply buy Bitcoin because they might get 10% more Bitcoin buying it on the exchange, creating upward mobility or upward pressure on the markets versus paying the energy company $6,000 for $5,000 worth of Bitcoin. You can stand by $6,000 of Bitcoin for $6,000 on the exchange. Thank you. So I am dumb. Just needed to clarify that. Thanks. You know, Greg Foss, in, a, in one of my earliest conversations with him, brought up this whole concept of, as a miner, to just blindly accept the cost of energy from your energy provider is a, is a foolish business practice because if you don't control that cost, which is the highest cost to Bitcoin mining, you're just eventually going to get screwed over. Obviously, this depends on what jurisdictions you are. Somewhere like New York, you're probably fucked trying to start a Bitcoin mining rig. But somewhere like Iowa or Texas, it seems like those have, I think, a little bit easier jurisdictional opportunities. Can we break down a little bit of just what energy opportunities are in a place like Iowa or a place like Texas that makes these far more like... I need a thesaurus in front of me. But no, better, a better jurisdiction to mine versus like my home state of California or the place that has now just become Satan's home, New York, New York State. So energy is this base layer of the world that runs a lot of things in society and really interacts with us more than we see until it, the price goes crazy. I mean, look at Germany and, and their prices of energy, their cost to, to heat their houses. It's something where energy is a fundamental building block of society. Now, all energy isn't created equally. And what I mean by that is energy on the, the functional level is the electrons moving through the system. And we have the cost to generate those electrons. Now, wind and solar and hydro are going to be some of the cheapest ways to generate that levelized cost of energy across the world. So. You're going to own, if you own a wind farm, if you own a solar farm, there is no fuel. 
going into that asset to generate that energy, which means that your ongoing operating costs of that energy asset is extremely low. Now, the, when it comes to the jurisdictions of where we sit, we now add another layer of politics and regulatory compliance on top of the physics layer of how the electrons function. Now this layer of politics, contracts, territories, and utilities is where things get messy. It's where middlemen are built. It's where hundred year contracts are signed between one utility and another. It's where lobbyists play a lot of time. It's where the goal is not to get the cheapest energy to the consumer, to the Bitcoin miner, to the community, but the goal is to increase the balance sheet of the utility and continue to build assets and get more debt on the balance sheet to grow the overall organization. And so when that becomes the goal and we're no longer focused on providing the lowest energy rate for our consumers and for our, our communities, the, the game kind of changes. And so when you, if we zoom out from this, the, the utilities, we can then go to the markets. Now in the U S there's multiple, what we call ISO or RTO markets and they are markets where energy is traded. So energy is traded on a retail and a wholesale level. The problem with most states, except for when you mentioned New York and actually Texas and a few others, they have something called open retail access. That means that anyone who buys energy can buy from the same spot or the same areas, the large group buys from the, the wholesale providers buy from and the wholesale providers that are buying energy in states that don't have open retail access are the utilities, are the investor owned utilities, are your co-ops, are you muni your municipal utilities. So those groups of people are the only ones that can buy from the wholesale market. Now, why is this important? Over the years, because of grid, the grid being built out with more renewables, solar and wind assets, we've seen that those non-fuel based sources of energy are built because of their tax credits. Now these tax credits last for 10 years on the asset and they basically pay for the whole asset plus get eight to 10% interest for the person who put up in eight to 10% return for the counterparty who put up the asset. So now once this wind farm is built. They're usually built in areas with low population density. And so that means that no one really needs the power. So that energy has either two things happen to it. One, it's curtailed, which means the energy is never sold to anyone. It's just what goes into the ground or two, the energy is sold on the wholesale market for pennies on the dollar. So most of the wholesale markets are available. Like all the data is available to the public. You can see, you just can't buy the, buy the energy. And so wholesale energy will be trading at $15 a megawatt hour, $20 a megawatt hour. And the only people that can buy that are the utilities in, in these regulated markets. And so the rate Iowa is a regulated market. So we have to go through a utility, that utility then goes to another utility and then that utility buys the, the power on the grid. And so we are working on legal and regulatory frameworks that would allow us as a Bitcoin miner and other Bitcoin miners around the world to around the US to buy power directly from these wholesale markets. But it's, it's very complex because contractually complex to be able to do legally within the legal framework that's presented. Even if I own a wind farm or solar farm that's generating energy half of the day, I can, even though I'm producing energy and I own the asset, I can sell into the wholesale market. I can't buy power back from that wholesale market in these regulated states 
I have to go to the utility and say, hey, when the wind isn't blowing, when the sun isn't shining, I need energy, I have to buy from them. And so I might be generating energy for my wind farm at $8 a megawatt hour. And then when it comes to my grid, I might be buying it for $50. And so my all-in price is close to $30 a megawatt hour. But because of the regulatory frameworks and how the these frameworks have been set up and are, you know, entrenched in society for the past 100 years, entrenched in society for the past 100 years, we're stuck with the systems we have at play and we're stuck with higher energy costs for everyone. And it's sad. It's one of the things that I, you know, I'm always working towards improving and trying to figure out how do we make energy sales, especially towards Bitcoin miners and be able to secure the most important network in the world cheaper so that you can continue to protect your capital investment, grow, grow your organization and hire more talent for these mining operations and be able to run them. Is there a jurisdiction that you would want to see other, like, is there a process in some state or country even that you're like that? I want every other place in the world to sell energy based on I mean, this Texas, system in place. Texas is it. It's the open retail access. It is the energy markets where anyone can build an energy company that buys energy and sells it to others. Anyone can, can be that retail provider. And it all depends on what voltage you're attaching to the grid at is the lower the energy costs you're getting, which makes complete sense because the substations are what step down the voltage. The substation is that big chain link fence that you see with a transformer in the middle and it's like metal and it's connected to the wires and then it steps down the energy and then energy goes to the community. Those substations cost a lot of capital. So, you know, the utilities need paid for building those. But the thing is, it's like the, the, the capital that they're, they're, they're collecting versus substations cost is astronomically higher. And so ERCOT says, and ERCOT is the governing body of Texas grid, says that anyone can participate in the market and the higher voltage you are, the, ch the cheaper the rate is. And if you're at a certain voltage, you can be on the wholesale market. You can buy directly from there. If you're not at that lower voltage, then you have to use someone else's infrastructure. And so it makes perfect sense. And it took away a lot of the problems that we, we have in the Midwest and other places like North Carolina, South Carolina, that have these energy issues of closed markets more properly. Hang on, sorry. I was just typing that out to tell my girlfriend we cannot move to South Carolina. Let, let's talk a little bit about Texas now. Let's go down this rabbit hole because, you know, you hear how the way Texas's grid is designed has certain benefits, but it also has certain characteristical or certain flaws. Right now you're dealing with a heat wave and all of a sudden all these miners are getting shot down. Is this a is this a problem actually for Bitcoin as a whole, or is this just something that is a byproduct of the world that Bitcoin can adapt to? No, I would actually say it's a benefit for Bitcoin miners because the Bitcoin miners that are, you know, the Bitcoin miners that are turning up in Texas, they're doing a great thing for the community. And, and I live in Austin, Texas. So it's something that I want to make sure I can run my AC when it's super, when it's 105 degrees there. And so have this personal benefit of this whole operation. But anyway, these Bitcoin miners are getting paid to turn off. So Bitcoin miners are very unique because they are something called a demand response vehicle, and they can turn on and off their energy usage on at the click of a button effectively. So you can take your Bitcoin miners from using one megawatt and bring them down to using a hundred watts, like a 99% increase or decrease in consumption in matter of minutes. Now, there are very few other operations that can do that on the demand response side. So Bitcoin miners are building out those very unique demand response grid. And in return, they get paid for every hour per megawatt that they are shut down. 
Now there's different programs that you can be in depending on the markets you're in. There's different programs for ERCOT, for SPP, which is Iowa and Nebraska, MISO, which is also part of Iowa, other areas. So there's these markets that have these different demand response programs. Now, historically, that would have been a battery would have been a demand response program. Or for example, when a utility says like, Hey, we're going to add a smart meter. We're going to shut off our AC, you know, for 15 minute intervals every hour. And that's going to help us conserve energy on the grid. Those are also demand response programs, but very few people can turn off like Bitcoin miners do. You don't see data centers turning off because then you're going to lose access to your, your Netflix and your, your shows and this live stream. You don't see manufacturing plants turning off like aluminum salts smelters that use a lot of energy because then they have this raw product in production. But since Bitcoin miners get paid every second for their work, they're able to be more redundant and turn off the power more responsibly, effectively compared to other energy uses. So Bitcoin miners in Texas, huge plus to them for helping save over one gigawatt of energy on the grid. And so what does that mean on a, if we zoom out to like the large scale grid, it means that we can continue to build renewable generation because with that renewable generation, it's intermittent. So we don't know when it's going to blow. We don't know when the sun's going to shine. So we have these massive fluctuations in renewable generation. And so with the Bitcoin miners, what we do is we build a strong base load that can be turned off. And that strong base load helps build, ensure that more renewables are able to penetrate the system and become installed without that constant demand for energy. Those renewables would not be needed 90 or 80% of the time, resulting in they're making it not economical to build out those projects once they're, you know, once their 10 year tax credit is done. So that's how I see Bitcoin miners and renewable energy working is that they provide this flexible load that can be turned off on a minute notice and that allows for more renewable generation to be put together because you only can turn on so much natural gas and so much coal to meet demand. And so that's, you know, that's, I would say the biggest advantage of Bitcoin miners and renewables and how we're going to get farther on the renewable penetration for these grids, you know, to get hundred percent renewables, it's going to require a massive controllable load that can turn on and off and match the demand of renewable energy. So I'd love to ask about a week ago, there was a story in Bloomberg about land using batteries and you know, the, the, the headline was, you know, Lancium signed a deal with Texas battery storage provider that will allow it to continue mining without putting stress on the state's grid when demand spikes. And my reaction to that is I was like, that's just, that just sounds like some ESG bullshit. Like why would they need batteries to mine Bitcoin if everything you said, which as I understand it is absolutely true, you can just turn ASIC miners on and off at any time. You're exactly right. So when it comes to batteries, I, I've looked into them a decent amount and I've looked into the tax credits with batteries, but if you're without tax credits and batteries, your cost to like your cost per megawatt hour for that energy that you are selling back to the miner or to the grid is going to be very, very expensive. Yeah, so exactly. yes, there are, there are times when like, it does make sense when Bitcoin's at 60 K and everything's 40 cents trash. But when I was running my numbers, it is very, very hard to have a battery setup work, work well, and be able to, you'll be able to deal with this, these, these, these fluctuating prices of power. Now it's not impossible because what a battery does is a battery allows you to buy power from the grid at that wholesale rate. I'm unsure exactly how they're able to get the energy on the wholesale level as a battery, probably because they're, you know, similar to production. So they, they take the power, they buy it maybe for a dollar per megawatt hour, and then they can use it whenever the price is higher. Except the, the biggest problem is you only can store so much energy and the cost for every megawatt is about actually about 10 times more, at least it was a few years ago to build out 
batteries per megawatt and to build out a Bitcoin mine per megawatt. That's what, with all your miners in it. So the cost interesting can be more per megawatt to build those batteries out, but there are advantages to it. I do see batteries having significant opportunity with, you know, with wind farms and storage combined and being able to utilize those. Got it. Okay. So that actually makes more sense if there's like tax incentives and things like that for a miner to basically get these batteries at potentially lower cost. And then when the price of power spikes, they're able to economically sort of outcompete other miners because they have this battery store. Okay. Got it. Yep. And in ERCOT, you know, they could decide, okay, I'm going to actually turn off my miners, still get that LNP credit. And I'm also going to sell, use my battery energy to sell back to the grid, which could be selling for thousand dollars a megawatt hour. I mean, there's times where the grid in ERCOT got, hits $8,000 a megawatt hour and normally it's trading at 20 or 30. Now that arbitrage is massive. And so those opportunities will only continue, especially with renewable energy being added to the grid and natural gas, coal, and nuclear plants being shut off. Got it. So why then? So there's so many opportunities to piggyback off of what P is kind of saying that the ESG fuckheads have essentially taken to attack Bitcoin mining. And on numerous occasions, these idiotic attacks have been disproven and discounted as recently as last week where P and I were hosting a Twitter spaces where I, I'm so sorry, Daniel, I cannot remember your last name. But he is like, he comes from the ESG space, wrote a very in depth article, Batten. Thank you, Chris, explaining how, like, actually, you know, the way we've been flaring off excess methane gas is actually net negative for the environment versus this opportunity that has presented itself in Bitcoin mining. What is your least favorite FUD and what is your sort of go to comeback to it? I'd say my least favorite FUD with the energy debacle and question is that using energy is inherently bad. Now we, like I said, energy is this fundamental building block of human life, of the capitalism, of standard of living there. I think Nick Carter posted a great article of, you know, a few years ago about there's a chart where it shows like the life expectancy and how much energy that country uses or life expectancy and energy penetration and how many people have access to energy. Energy is a fundamental building block. Like I challenge you to say, okay, let me live today without using any hydrocarbons, any energy. Now you can do that when you're camping and that's effectively what you're doing. You're camping because we're our life, our whole society is built on this energy usage. And so when we attack the energy usage of Bitcoin miners, because we fundamentally People fundamentally don't understand how the grid works and how energy is bought and sold and how much energy is just wasted. There was an article that over 50% of the energy that's generated just go, it's just wasted in heat. That could be energy just dissipates, dissipate on a line. That could be energy dissipating in the motor as it's being utilized. And so most of our energy just goes up to heat. It's because we don't, electricity is very unique when it comes to commodities and how it's unique and how it's different than any other commodity is that it has to be utilized the minute it's made, not the minute, the second, second, the microsecond you, you make electricity, you have to use it. You cannot effectively store this energy 
like a barrel of oil, like natural gas, like corn, like soybean, like any of these other commodities, you have to utilize this asset immediately. And so with that being said, the only way for us as a civilization to progress and to grow is to build more sources of clean energy, but then also use that clean energy to create economic value. You can generate the energy, but if you're not using it, then it's not going anywhere. And it's only being, you're only incentivizing this energy generation based on tax credits, which is effectively, you know, making private equity in the larger capital groups richer. It's not helping out the common person. It's not lowering the energy cost-based communities. So the incentives are, I would say, misaligned in the energy, most of these energy markets. They're incentivized to build the asset base, not to bring consumers cheaper energy. And then secondly, people don't understand how the fact is that you can't just use this energy later, or, you know, you're using the energy, so I can't use the energy. That's why Bitcoin miners turn off because there's programs in place where they're incentivized to turn off their energy and not use it and give it back to the community. So that, that's, that would be my, my biggest thing when it comes to that. Those are the comments about energy usage. I don't hate it. I mean, I'm the biggest proponent of, I believe the next iteration of whatever we consider clean energy and energy efficiency will just come out of the Bitcoin space because miners are incentivized to find the cheapest source of energy. So that's, that's my bold claim for the next 24 months. My last few bold claims include a potential conversation around capping the price of oil, which happened no less than a week after I said it. And then there was another one, Chris, remind me about how great I am. Predictions. <laughs> I like, you, you got like a sticky note on your computer. That's like, I was right about this. It's like, it's one sticky note next to, next to the camera lens right there that has all the things I was right. And then a whole laundry list of everything I've been wrong all the way over there. So I want to make a ridiculous statement for the sake of making a ridiculous statement at P is P might have a heart attack when I say it and JP might never talk to me again, but just bear with me. I'm going to say it and then I'm going to explain it. ESG is good for Bitcoin mining. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Keep going. Fair. So ESG is actually good for Bitcoin mining. In this short term window, we saw companies like ConocoPhillips and we've now seen, I believe, Chevron adopt some form of Bitcoin mining as this idea of like, hey, we're offsetting this bullshit that we do in the world and we're now ESG compliant as a result. So my argument then is if all of these other energy oil type of companies start to incorporate Bitcoin mining in any capacity, whether it's by using the methane gases or by in other capacities whatsoever, is that a bad thing for Bitcoin? P, I could see he wants to say no. So I actually am going to lob the question to P first and then JP, you can dunk on both of us. Yeah, JP is going to have the, the, the best answer here. But my view is that when you have the economic incentives in place correctly, it will drive the thing that is best for everyone. So miners are incentivized currently in many cases to burn flare gas because it is a cheap, it's, 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 it's a, not a type of stranded energy, but it's like almost like it's just useless or it's viewed as useless by most people because it's very difficult to transport flared, you know, the gas that would just be flared to a place where you can actually capture that power. But Bitcoin miners are super easy to just put up anywhere. So I still think of ESG narratives. It's more like a, in the same way that miners and entities are doing sort of energy contract arbitrage, right? If you're a miner, you're constantly trying to find these 
not even loopholes, but like these the, the cheapest power you can get for the longest amount of time via contracts. That's just totally normal. And ESG is basically a, I would argue, ultimately harmful kind of like cultural arbitrage opportunity. I've talked to so many miners who publicly, they're like, oh yeah, we're pro ESG, we're good to go. But behind the scenes, very privately, they'll say like, yeah, I mean, ESG is bullshit, but we have to play that game because that is the game that is being played. That is the market that we are, that we are living in. And so we have to basically on the uh, publicly support these narratives because it's a, it's another type of arbitrage opportunity. I don't know. JP, what do you think? I would say the ESG narrative is overall a benefit for Bitcoin miners, as long as it doesn't turn against them. I mean, it start at us, but I'm not saying it, you know, fully, we need to ban Bitcoin miners. As long as that does not become part of the ESG narrative, I believe the reason why I think it is good for Bitcoin miners is because the power arbitrage and the grid, the grid's instability is only going to increase with these renewable energy assets that are being generated that are on the grid. And so that arbitrage and that difference between power prices and the fluctuation in power prices that Bitcoin miners are one of the few industries that can take advantage of are, it will allow ESG, you know, that penetration of ESG will continue to help Bitcoin miners because of those low power prices and those difference in power price. <laughs> God damn it. Wow, I pulled a P. They're doing road work. They're doing road work on my street. And so I have like multiple setups to try to like limit the amount of background noise. It's just like jackhammers going up constantly. I'm doing a pretty good job, but apologies for the constant mic cutting in and out. Anyway, the claim I just made was that you are a minor spook and that uh, Q is still wrong, but uh, absolutely not. Dude, I literally said in way less of an eloquent fashion, exactly what JP said. So two to one, we win. P was wrong. Add that to the tally sheet, Chris. For now let's talk new york what was your initial reaction when you sort of saw this news coming in and what are your fears from a regulatory lens for what could happen to bitcoin mining yeah so i was very very upset when i saw what was happening or heard what was happening then i began to look more into the issue and realize that okay specifically what they're going after is the purchase of energy generating assets for use to Bitcoin mining behind the meter. Now, I don't necessarily know how, if they're going, you know, even if they make this law, if it will stand up due to the fact that Bitcoin, the way I view Bitcoin mining is that it's code and code is speech and free speech is one of the strongest things that's protected in America. It's, you know, it's just one of our core values. And so when it comes to running code on energy that you made with a power plant you own, there's very little that I could see a government doing to prevent that. Now I do see the opportunity for governments in New York kind of went down this path to say, okay, you can't do that. But I see government saying, okay, you can't sell energy to the grid. If you're selling, if you're selling it to a Bitcoin miner, if you're a natural gas or coal plant and you're selling it to a Bitcoin miner behind the meter. You're not able to sell it to the grid and they can do that via the licensing because every power plant and grid power producer over a certain megawatt threshold has to have these licenses, these generating licenses. So they could revoke their generating license. But I, I was upset that, you know, I first thought it was a blanket ban in all of New York. I said, this is horrible. Then I realized, okay, it's not a blanket ban. It's only for people that are generating energy behind the meter. So the grid is still going to be able to be utilized in New York. And there's still people that were consulting with projects up there. But if this does take precedent and they continue to move down and saying, okay, you cannot, you know, use these energy plants to mine Bitcoin, that 
is setting a precedent where you're telling someone what they can and can't do with the energy they created, which is, is, would be, I think, fundamental in how our society works because energy is that backbone. So it'd be horrible to want that way. Is there anything that you're keeping an eye on more broadly about Bitcoin that may not necessarily be mining focused, but it's just something, again, from the regulatory lens that you're like, yo, these guys are idiots? Honestly, not nothing, not really. I've been, you know, I've been into crypto since 2013. So I've seen a lot of the ups and downs and, the, you know, really dug into a, a, a lot of the altcoins and side projects and, you know, even the Bitcoin fundamentals and have a, a good understanding there. So now I'm really focused on understanding energy and that kind of game or system of rules and trying to connect the two through mining. Less of my time is dedicated towards, you know, Bitcoin in its, in its future iterations. I do think Lightning Network is super cool, but I can't really talk much on it. That's fair. Neither can I, but that doesn't stop me <laughs> talking about Lightning or mining for that matter. Let's, let's keep it for a second on the regulatory aspect. Not to, this has nothing to do with mining whatsoever. I just want your general opinion right now. Thoughts on politicians who run on a Bitcoin platform pro or against? I'm not much, I'm not into politics much, but I think that if you're supporting Bitcoin and you see the potential that it has for humanity and for society, then that is something that I, you know, I can, would support. And I think people are going to start coming around and supporting, you know, supporting those politicians. I think Bitcoin means something different than it did when I, I started. The community has grown dramatically. And so you can say, I'm a Bitcoiner that will has a different set of ideology than when it did in 2013 or 2014, when the community was much smaller. Now being a Bitcoiner can mean, you know, you can have, dip, let's say a much wider range of beliefs about the world and how Bitcoin should be utilized. But I think if you come down to the fundamental aspects of Bitcoin in that, you know, it is, it is fair money. It is money created by energy. It is money that cannot be debased and one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin and everyone should have access to it. Then I'm. I'm all for supporting those type of people and hoping that the, that they, that they do share that they're a Bitcoin supporter, because I think they're, as we continue to grow the community and more and more Bitcoiners are, are, kind of come out slash, or people learn about Bitcoin, I think it's going to be one of those things where the society will start to shift its lens, especially the younger generation millennials shifting their lens on the value of Bitcoin, what it means for themselves as a wealth preservation tool as we continue to fight in inflation and the creation of money. What was like, what did, what did it mean in 2013 or 2014 when you said I'm a Bitcoiner to someone else? Like, what did that imply? I think it really, you know, for myself, then it implied a set of libertarian principles, a set of libertarian beliefs. And I, you know, I self-identified as a libertarian back when I was in high school you know, being before I could vote, I guess. And, and that was just, you know, that was the type of ideology set that I really believed in. It was like, you know, your money, you know, the government should not be able to control it at all. And that this is money for the people. It's a global thing, a global initiative. I think those were some of the, the conversations, you know, that, that unbeliefs that I had that Bitcoin was going to change trust on the internet, that it was this fair system. I think maybe the beliefs were just more, not polarized, but more like in that realm. Of, of libertarianism. Now I don't necessarily think, you know, you can be a Bitcoin or we also can be like, 
know, I love NFTs and I love all these, all these gaming game to earn projects. I love all this. And I'm not saying it doesn't make you a Bitcoiner today. It's just, it wasn't all of those other things to go, to go work on and care about. It was more of like, this is, this is the future of wealth preservation. I want to be focused on just that. Or I think people nowadays utilize the term cryptocurrency and crypto and Bitcoin interchangeably when in my mind, it's still Bitcoin is this, the value preservation tool that humanity has. And the reason why it's the best at doing it is because of the mining process, how much energy goes into keeping your Bitcoin secure versus these other coins, which really flow with the economics of the overall market and follow Bitcoin's price and its movements. Okay. I know you hate politics, but I feel like present day though, Bitcoiners have really flocked and you know, authors like Safety and Amoose have really put into words the feelings that a lot of people have had over the political powers that be. And you kind of see this contingent of almost pseudo-anarchists who have become a growing minority in the Bitcoin space. Where, like, where does that fall as far as what Bitcoin was and where it's come to? Is that, is that a movement that is helpful for the overall goal of Bitcoin from where you started and what you guys were trying to accomplish way back when? I would say Bitcoin is money separated from the state at its fundamental core. It allows us to scale trust. The state has inherently created the, this, this, this trust in the U S dollar and the currency, and that has helped us as society organize and, and build a lot of what we have today. Now, where I think the issues lie in that system is that that organization, that society necessarily, people don't feel like it's working for them anymore. It's not making their lives better. A lot of that is because of the, 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 the rules and the politicians that have created the, the groups and, you know, helping out their buddies to, to get the contracts and do the work. And it's kind of created this, this inner circle of individuals, but it's more about who, you know, versus what we know, or, and I think with Bitcoin, the goal is that it's more about what, you know, than who, you know, and that everyone's on the same playing field. So one of the big things with me with Bitcoin mining or Bitcoin in general was the Byzantine generals problem and being a young high schooler that was, you know, rowdy and didn't like to follow rules. It was the fact that every general in the Bitcoin space or in the Bitcoin mining space has to approve that this is okay. And we're all the same level. No one's better than someone else. There's no, there's no, there's no hierarchy there. I think that what is what originally you know, brought me to Bitcoin in 2013. And so I think the crypto anarchists are similar, saying something similar, which is there is no hierarchy. You know, we can govern, we can create this trust. We can preserve our wealth. We can separate dollars from the state all at the COLU level. And we do not need politicians. We don't need, you know, these types of this, this other types of, these other types of rules that are changing on a whim or can be influenced by corporations and by other, you know, other groups that, so that, that's kind of my, my recap and thoughts on how it's changed over the years and what I believe about Bitcoin. I, I'm fully on board with the anarchy of it all. If I, if I can be completely honest, but you know, that's just my two sets. I have a totally random question. Go. If you say fuck Mary Kill, I'm I'm gonna tell Chris to kick you off the screen though. We're, no, no, we'll we'll talk to we'll talk do, about that. Do later. that question? No, do that question later. I have like actual real 
important business to handle with JP right now. All right, cool. I didn't mean to derail you. Continue when you get to a break. Come back to me. I have an okay. important question for JP. Okay. I want to go back a little bit. And I've asked this question to a handful of miners and probably because what I'm really asking for is your 10-year business plan and no one wants to give it to me. <laughs> I don't get an answer that I like, but we talked a little bit earlier in the episode or earlier in this interview about, you know, the fact that you're, you and your company, you do take into account the happening and the fact that the block reward is diminishing over time. Is there a threshold? Is there a point in the future that you guys are sort of eyeing and saying our entire business model has to shift to something else because said block reward is smaller? Yeah. So Bitcoin, when you look at it in the amount of Bitcoins that are mined, we have the halving, which cuts in and out every four years. When you look at Bitcoin in the terms of dollars, that the value, the amount of Bitcoins and the value of those Bitcoins mined has gone up by 5x every four years. So in 2017, it was $5 billion per year in mined coins. In 2021, it was $20 billion, 20, almost $25 billion in mined coins. So I expect that in the next having the same thing will continue that the overall even though the amount of Bitcoins that are being mined, the overall U.S. dollar value of that Bitcoin, because of how significant and how hard it is to acquire these coins, there will be you know millions of computers looking to, to get these coins. So I don't see Bitcoin miners you know going away in the next 20 years because between now and the next 20 years, 99% of all the Bitcoins will be mined. Now, once we're down to the last 1%, you know, those are the times where I still believe it'll be a valuable business. The operators that are going to be running those those businesses will be, you know, A plus, a lot of it will probably be automated. I doubt we'll still be doing air cooling. The for our company, our biggest focus is on energy generation. So acquiring stranded energy assets and moving in towards that direction, less of like focusing on, you know, Iowa co-ops. It's, it's a great midterm or short-term strategy to grow, but it's not that low cost energy that you need to compete. Cause if you have $50 megawatt hour power, but you have, can get $10 megawatt power at a wind farm with a, with a great storage solution or some sort of, you know, gravity storage solution or a way to store energy when the wind isn't blowing. Well, now you're five times cheaper than anyone else. So the having event, oh, you're still, even if you lose half your value and no one turns off, you're still going to be making money because you are five times cheaper. I think that's the biggest thing with energy. It's, it's the same electron at the end of the day. If you're at $10, that's significantly cheaper than 30, 40, $50. And then from there, it's like, you get to $5, that's even cheaper. And so. For us, we're seeing that there's plenty of, there'll be a plenty of production or gen, of, of wind generation and solar generation in the U.S. that comes off their tax credit. And there's no natural buyer of these assets. Once the tax credit's done, no one really wants them. So Bitcoin miners are the one buyer that I can see coming in, acquiring these assets for cheap and deploying their infrastructure at that scale. So it sounds like there is a degree of Bitcoin mining companies almost turning into your the local energy providers at a certain point in the future out of necessity more than anything else. Out of necessity, and that's where the regulatory benefits are. If you own a utility, you can buy from that wholesale market, that special place. And so there are utilities for sale that are not for sale, but that could be acquired that are way cheaper than a public mining company balance sheet. So the fact is, I think. Bitcoin miners will start to buy municipal utilities. I think they will start to buy more and more generation. That's just you know where we're headed. It's still like how do you win the Bitcoin mining race? You have to have the lowest cost of energy and you have to own your generation. 
I mean, if they were smart enough to do it, they obviously would have done it at this point. But as like, what, what possibility or what is the likelihood in your opinion? And we could be probabilistic about this rather than like black or white of any type of energy company, whether it's a, an oil or gas manufacturer type company, or if it's your local electricity provider or your local natural gas provider, whatever it is, what is genuinely stopping them from going out and buying, like buying a whole company or even just starting to slowly build out their own mining capabilities or operations? Because it almost feels like the way we're looking at it at a certain point, we will overtake them in value and then we will just absorb them. But right now they drastically outweigh what a mining company is worth and they could just absorb us very quickly and easily. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if Bitcoin miners are going to absorb energy companies. Energy is just, you know, Occidental is, these are massive companies backed by Berkshire Hathaway and other groups with billions and billions of dollars on the books and assets. So they're behemoth. When it comes to why aren't they doing this Bitcoin, why aren't they Bitcoin mining? One, I think the biggest things, and some of them are, but I think the biggest thing that prevents companies from entering the Bitcoin mining space that are in the energy space simply the risk that they need to take to enter the space and the hedging available. You can't hedge your hash rate effectively. You can hedge your Bitcoin price, which is going to help, but you cannot hedge your difficulty increases. And you only can hedge your Bitcoin price for so long. So when it comes to the hedging available for miners, they can hedge half of the equation, but you effectively can't hedge difficulty at any scale at the moment. Now, companies like Lumerin with, with Titan are working on that and working on marketplaces where a lot of people look to buy and sell hash rate, but they're there's no way for a financial institution to, to put together a deal where there's very little risk and the, the return is a constant 10% a year. Now that's what I would say. Most of the institutional, most of the energy businesses in the world, they're looking for eight to 10% a year. They're just looking to compound that every single year on a massive balance sheet. They're not looking for a 25, 50% return to them. It's more risky than it's worth. So that's why I think that Bitcoin mining energy companies are not coming into Bitcoin mining. It's because they don't truly believe that it's going to be the future of money and they don't fully understand the value it has today because they can't hedge the future decline of Bitcoin or potential decline of Bitcoin, then they're not willing to enter this space. P, you can ask your stupid question now. It wasn't stupid. It was brilliant. So JP, I have a vision where I am in the country, which nobody knows, everybody knows it gets cold during the winter. I have a vision of having, you know, cheap, not necessarily profitable ASIC miners producing heat, which I then pipe in little ducts, you know, onto my face when I'm like sitting and cooking my barbecue outside. Here's my question for you. Also, I'm in a heat. I have a, a really primo rabbit hutch that I want to do the same thing with. So here's my question for you. When should I buy my S9s? Is it now or is it like, you know, over the next six to 12 months? And before you answer that, this is not financial advice. No, I literally asked the question for myself. I'm going to be losing money on S9s to, you know, be supporting the Bitcoin network. Because I, I had not stressed this enough. This is my question for you is, advice. why don't you care? Why do you want to harm the children? JP, please answer the question. So I would say you want to buy your Bitcoin miner when all of your other infrastructure is completed and done. So for your example. You want to buy your Bitcoin miner once your piping is, is once your piping is done, once you have a, an, a 20 amp circuit ready, dedicated for your Bitcoin miner, 
once you have figured out how you're going to bring cold air into the miner and where you're going to pump that hot air and where exactly you want in your house or how it's going to be. That's what I would say because Bitcoin miners, if they're not running, they're always losing value. So you'll want to buy a Bitcoin miner today if you're not ready for it tomorrow. Yeah, I'm not going to do any of that. I already have one and I, I want to know when I should get more of them. So when is the price of S9 is going, is, is it going to go down from here, up from here, sideways from here? I mean, it could see a small drop from here, but if you already have your setup, like buy some more. I mean, the pricing is probably, I probably need an S9 for 20 bucks now, 30 bucks. That's not real. I mean, they were that cheap in 2019. I don't see why. Shh. Dude, God, we're, JP, we're you're fucking with us call. right now. Because I will buy a fuck ton of I will literally write you a S9s. check for a hundred S nines right they don't now. That. They don't make that much. Let me see. No, no, no. They, they. You, to be clear to everyone listening, I am one hundred percent planning to lose money on my S nine. I just think it's cool as shit. So yeah, there's a reason that they're that they're they're cheaper. But I've I never heard of anything. I see a used one on eBay for two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, those but eBay is gonna hold those prices. Yeah, it's gonna scalp your ass. All right, all right. You're Back telling to me questions. I could find it. At, like, dude, I will literally go buy. I don't give a shit how expensive electricity here in California is. I will go buy no. one miner S9 just to say I'm now mine Bitcoin. No, you won't. You're going to lose so much fucking money. I used to live in California. I was paying like 26 cents per kilowatt hour. It was. I just have to tell my parents how much the electricity bill is going to change. <laughs> Jesus. All right, all right. Real questions. I've, you've answered my question, JP. You can now ascend to Valhalla. Let's see. There was 4,000 S9s posted on, oh, those are fans. Damn it. S9s right now back in, so July 1st, they were selling for $139 each. Yeah. But again, that's like in bulk, right? No. Like I got to buy it. No shit. P, I will split a bulk order with you. Like so stop negating this. Holy shit. They're, All right. All right. They're going to be cheaper. I'm ready to lose some money on a space eater. Let's fucking go. But like... I mean, we literally have tons of them sitting in the container. You guys can send me your address. I'll send you some. They're just you're, sitting here. They it's going to happen, JP. They're going to regret that. I know your address. I'll, you pay for shipping, I'll send it to you. You got yourself a deal. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, okay, let's, un let's unpack this. We, we know that the cost of energy is an important in whether or not your at-home mining setup is profitable. Second layer of this is how much hash rate you are providing. What are the other variables that go into this calculation or is that really it to determine how profitable so the real i mean the profitability is really comes down to your your other one other thing that would add is that watts that joules per terahash how many watts of energy you use to generate one terahash that's the only thing that actually that kind of sits between those two equations so you have your input your energy costs your output your output your terahash value and your value of your terahash and in the middle is how efficient you change the energy to the terahash now you can include your energy. You can include your machine's efficiency rating in there. You also can include your OPEX in there, your staff in there, you know, your, your debts in there that all can be in your watts per terahash. Cause effectively it's sitting in the middle of how effect, how you can turn, how effective you can turn your raw cost into a terahash. So that's really it. It's pretty simple math problems, not too complex. The problems come down to running a 24 seven operation, staffing one, finding a location, getting permits building out infrastructure, dealing with supply chain issues. That's where the issues come in. Sorry, I was just doing some math in my head of how much more money I can make if I just quit my job right now and go start mining Bitcoin full time. You will lose money. Yeah. P, 
you can now ask your very fuck quote fuck kill question. Nah, I'm bored of it now. I mean, I'll ask it anyway because we now talked about it so much. I just got to ask it. But the question is, it's played out. It's Mary Fuck Kill, Janet Yellen, Jerome Powell, Christine Lagarde. And if you want to get spicy, you can add in Gus's Carson's. Remember, it's Janet Yellen, Jeremy Powell. Who was the third one? Jerome Powell and uh, Christine Lagarde. Christine Lagarde. Kill Christine Lagarde, marry Jer- Jerome Powell, and afflict the other person. You, you nailed it. You, you answered correctly. Jerome Powell <laughs> controls the money printer for the, currently, the World Reserve Currency. So you marry his ass, divorce him immediately. You get 50% of that, uh, that wealth. You get 50% of the money printer. 50% of, of infinity, as Q has pointed out previously, is infinity. You're good to go. Well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> that's, a lot, that's a lot of S19 miners. Way more than it exists. <laughs> It, back to like the, the non-deranged part of this conversation, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you are incredibly effective on TikTok and other social media platforms. I spend a lot of time thinking about what is the most effective way to bring as many people to Bitcoin as possible. I, I really do. I view it as this, I feel like this internal, like moral imperative to, to help as many people as possible understand that. Fiat currencies are this melting ice cube. And you seem to have figured out how to really effectively do that via these platforms. So what is, how do you think about that? What have you found is super effective as you are communicating about mining and Bitcoin in general? So when it comes to content creation, I've had some, some great friends that have been able to build audiences and actually help me a lot when it when it comes to creating this content, it comes down to consistency. The hook is one of the most important things being showing some, showing unique things. So when people see a Bitcoin mining operation, with a bunch of computers, this is that's also not something you see every day. And so you want to highlight the, the things about your industry, your life, or for example, Bitcoin mining that are on the fringes or on the edge edges of what people see. And so that could be how much heat that Bitcoin miners generate, how loud they are. How much money a Bitcoin miner makes. People love the idea of computers making money for them, even if it's an S9 and it's running in a house and it's unprofitable. It's like those type of things we've seen people connect with people. And so when it comes to making this content, what what I my team and myself is focused on is be consistent, create content that that shares the value of what Bitcoin is and why it's important. And then also walk them through the process of how what, how much Bitcoin miner will make and how to do the calculations and how to get started. The reason why I create content is really is because I want to build the ability for people to invest in Bitcoin mining and get into real Bitcoin mining operations with influencers at a very cheap, at a, at a hundred dollars. So we launched this thing called BitVault online. It's BitVault at WeFunder.com. WeFunder is a regulated crowdfunding platform where you can raise money through the Rate CF framework in the United States up to $5 million per year per individual. And those individuals can go to their communities and say, Hey, I'm going to start a Bitcoin mining operation. I'm raising money. They can take their money from their fans. And then everyone can get exposure to a Bitcoin mining operation running at a large scale facility and see the financial returns from that. So my goal is to make Bitcoin mining more accessible by dropping entry price, which we are doing now and closing up our first deep under default launch with Josh Terry in the next couple of weeks and providing the accessibility. And then telling my story through content. One of the things that I would say my friend Noah, who's a video editor who made the video that went viral, that got over 33 million views, his, what he did really well was vocal tonality. 
and telling, telling the story. So we took a script that got 10 million views previous on TikTok. We edited one line from it and made the same script again. And then that video blew up even farther all because we knew it was a good story. We knew it was personable telling how I got into Bitcoin, sharing that I bought 20 Bitcoins in 2013 and showing people that you also can be a Bitcoin miner. It doesn't take, you know, it doesn't take a million dollars. We're trying to make it accessible at a hundred dollars. So join today. And if you want to buy your own S19 or S9, it's 140 bucks right now online and you can get it running. So that's, that's my, why I'm in Bitcoin mining is to make energy work for people, make computers work for people and make it accessible to, the, to every single person the world. What was the line that you had to edit out in order to make it successful? We added a line that said I could, could have bought 11 Lamborghinis and instead of like, I, I bought $20, 20 Bitcoin and this $70 a coin. Instead, I, you know, if I were to save the money, I could have bought 11 Lamborghinis easily. And that line just like clicked like a song lyric, like people just resonated with it. And then, it, you know, it blew up and TikTok's an interesting platform where the amount of reach you can get at the video has high retention rate and a lot of interaction is insane. I've never seen it before. Like I posted a video, got 3 million views. The first video I ever posted. And my dad was like, fuck, he was like, he was like, yo, what, what's the video name? And I'm like, I have my TikTok notifications turned off because my friends, like, I don't have any social media notifications turned on because it's like such an interruption to your day-to-day life. So I pulled the app out after three days. I'm like, oh, I have like 20,000 followers. What the hell happened? But it's just because like, you know, you're catching the storyline. You're as a content creator, someone who's created content for multiple years, I understand like what's going to keep the viewer engaged and also have that, that, that taste that really makes good tough content, which is important. That's incredible. JP, why are you not also on Instagram so that I don't have to adhere to this? Are you post what, what yeah. is the Instagram? Cause I refuse to download. Yeah. My Instagram is at John J O H N Paul Barrick. The problem with Instagram and TikTok is the scammers. Like I will never ask you for crypto. So like, if you're following my social media right now, I will never DM you asking you for percentage crypto. I will send you to the regulated crowdfunding page to put money in and like be legit, but I'm not going to ask you for crypto. So people like will copy my account, change the username, change the letter. It's, it's atrocious. I've had people message me like, I lost my life savings. Like I lost $10,000. I lost $5,000. I'm like, and Facebook doesn't care. TikTok doesn't care. It's so, so sad. Yeah, no, JP, this, this is actually an issue that like both myself and our producer, Chris go through. And I had a friend, so my roommate from college, who had a friend from back home, who I met one fucking time in college, sent the scammer like over 10 Bitcoin. And I'm just sitting there, like I heard this story and I was like, Fuck. dude, the only way I heard the story was my old roommate in college literally calls me angry and is like, yo, dude. Why the fuck are you helping my friend invest in crypto? Like, why wouldn't you offer to help me? I'm like, no, we'll help anyone. I need to help myself first. That's, I mean, I really think there's a potential for a class action lawsuit there against Meta, but that's just. I don't know. I mean, now we're, now we're deep down the, uh, the rabbit hole, but <laughs> I really, I was so sad when, you know, Zoom as like just a straight PR move, you know, bought Keybase. I don't know if you, if you ever use Keybase, but it is a, it was a, a really, really effective messaging platform. It still exists and, yeah. and it had, you know, Git repository, Git hosting built into it. It's really fucking cool, very secure. And one of the things that they did is in order to, to authenticate your identity, you would post to like your Twitter profile, your LinkedIn, your whatever you wanted to link to it. And that would basically, so it was like the amalgamation of multiple accounts that were associated with you proved your identity 
and it was basically impossible for people to spoof your account because it was super clear to anyone who would like look at the account and be like, oh, this is just some random ass person. And it was so effective. And then Zoom basically, when they got hacked during coronavirus, they just bought them and were like, now we're secure. And, you know, of course, Zoom is a Chinese company and they just started like, you know, scraping all the data. And so it just lost its relevance. But I, I hope that, you know, through, you know, the, the block-based, you know, web, web 5.0 initiative, I hope that we get back to a world where there are like effective you like social media platforms that offer a unique value prop that make it very, very difficult, if not impossible, for people to effectively scam. So I hope social media is a shit coin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I used to I used to use Keybase as well. It was pretty good software. Yeah. Everyone's homework assignment tonight is to go watch the social dilemma. <laughs> and you and you will understand why I'm so anti TikTok. Actually, that doesn't really explain it. TikTok is just a ploy by the Chinese government to spy on us. I said it. I mean, I mean, that, that's a part of it. You guys it's have also, seen study. It is also an extremely effective social media platform. Like, there's a reason that everybody's like, fuck, I hate TikTok, but also I'm a TikTok influencer. I mean, don't even get me started on that, but there is, there have been a lot of reports coming out and people have been doing research on like, what is the, what are the top 10 trending things on TikTok in this jurisdiction versus like in America versus China is the example I'll always pull. And in the US, it's all these stupid dance, whatever videos. And then in China, it's legitimately like complex math equations or like how to build stuff and like engineering tutorials. Like I'm telling you, it's literally designed to make you dumber. And there's all of this other stuff about how like all of these apps that like I'm the scroll down feature to refresh. It's it's just a slot machine. Oh, let me scroll down and then it, the refresh way and then boom, my new prizes. So it, you're programmed. I mean, yeah, Twitter works the same way though. To Chris's point, our producer, he just put in the chat like, yeah, as opposed to American social media. Like they're all trying to do the same thing. TikTok basically just figured out a better way to appeal to the current, you know, ecosystem and uh, generation. But we're going down this rabbit hole too far. Yeah, 100%. JP, what are, what are the... My Bitcoin mining related technological improvements or projects that you are most excited about right now, or what are the? Let me put it another way. Like, what are the most what are the most exciting innovations in the space? It doesn't have to be like purely tech. Is there a least to mine? I, I think it's for me water cooling. So plate water plate cooling of Bitcoin miners where. You put a metal backplate on the, the hash board and you run water against the back of the board instead of air cooling and instead of immersion, you have a lot less liquid and less parts. I think there's going to be, you know, this Aminer S9, S19 hydros. We're seeing their hash rate they're getting on them. I think the new one's like 200 plus tera hashes. Holy shit. So like, that's, I think that's the future. That's super interesting. Hmm. Q, what you got? I, I got nothing left. I'm now so down deep this TikTok rabbit hole. I'm trying to find JP's videos because I, I did not discover you, JP, on TikTok. I just no, he's, he's, a, he's a, a killer. JP, I want to give you the opportunity to maybe touch on anything that we didn't ask you that you wanted to, to highlight or bring up. Or if you want to just poke fun at P, by all means, that's what we do on this show. Come at me, bro. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think this is a really comprehensive conversation regarding energy and Bitcoin. So I appreciate it. I'd say, you know, 
my Twitter is at JP Barrick, Instagram at John Paul Barrick, TikTok JP Barrick. If you uh, want to, if you're looking to get into mining and you are, you know, you want to put a hundred dollars in, check out WeFunder. It, it Vault is the name of the company. And then if you're looking to get into mining at closer to $50,000, email us at sales at miningstore.com. We're happy to help you out, get you running out here. And I appreciate it. This was a great time, guys. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Thank <laughs> you.